0: All right. All right, Randall, what would you tell them in two seconds about chapter 7 and 8? <laughs> right. We're going to get a second. king.
1: We're going to get a
0: king, that's right. Remember in the Jewish Bible, Samuel and king are first, second, third, and fourth kings. Because they tell the story of how Israel transitioned from a loose confederation of villages to a nation with the king. Uh, And so, as as we kind of head through this, let's talk about biblical roles in the the Old Testament. Uh, And you'll see different words depending on whose translation you use. I I think I've got New American Standard 95 up. Uh, But there are patriarchs, there are priests, there are prophets, slash, otherwise called a seer, Uh, And then there are judges and kings. The patriarch, the example is Abraham. Uh, Most of the world at this point was in patriarchal society. The oldest man in the family or in the village ran the village, ran the family. And we know this from Abraham, Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Uh, you, You see this patriarchy. Uh, You know, today, patriarchy has a bad connotation. In the first century, that's how life ran. The patriarch ran everything. Now, did I think the patriarch made the decision by himself? No. How many of you are married? (laughs) What are the odds that his wife had zero input? Zero. A good patriarch said, let me think about this. And then he went and talked to his wife. And that's How successful villages and and families ran. Uh, Then we had priests. Uh, In Genesis, not all priests are are Jewish or Israeli. Israelites, sorry, not Israeli. Israelites. Uh, Melchizedek shows up in Genesis. Abraham uh, Melchizedek sacrifices to God, and Abraham gives a tithe to Melchizedek. He is not. Uh, a Hebrew. So you don't have to be Hebrew. Remember, the rest of the world's occurring. The story we're looking at is looking at a particular people, but the rest of the world's going on around it. So you have, uh,
1: for the Hebrews, you have Aaron.
0: Aaron's the original brother of Moses. He's the original high priest. Uh, and in our story, we start with uh, Eli and then his sons. Eli's obviously the high priest, so he's a direct descendant of Aaron. And then we meet Samuel. Samuel is a Levite, he's a priest, but he's not the high priest. Because he's not related to Eli. So he's not in the family of Aaron. Hey, Jim, yes. close something? Yeah, so, so this is what I've been thinking about. Samuel, I, I, I mean that when I say, so I, so I think Samuel was in his teens when all these other guys were gone. Oh, absolutely. Why did they not move the ark of the covenant back to Sheba and Stayed in that place for twenty years. Why? Oh, because uh, Sheol. Well, he's not from there, and B. Sheol doesn't exist anymore. As A. Can't be a priest until you're thirty years old. Right. So there was no priest there. That's, i I've thought about that all week. No way yeah, no, I think that's a... Uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit this week of what, what's going on inside the country at the time. Uh, and then you have prophets and seers. Uh, you have Nathan who's going to show up in our story once David shows up. There are priests that occur throughout the whole Old Testament. Not priests, sorry. Prophets. That show up throughout the whole Old Testament. That are messengers of God. Uh, in fact, the whole, once you get past Proverbs, the rest of the Old Testament is all uh, prophets who God sends. They write stories, they tell the people, try to redirect the people back towards God. Uh, and again, you don't have to be Hebrew. Uh, and Balaam is a story of a non Hebrew pro- uh, prophet. Because you know the king King Moab hires him and says, Come on, I want you to uh, prophesy against these Hebrews, so I'll win the war. I'll win the battle. And Balaam says, Sure, if you pay me enough, I'll prophesy whatever you want. And then God intervenes. Uh, and then, you know, as we you know, the story, the flame of wars, uh, right? Balaam's riding the donkey, the donkey stops. And then he tries to get him to go, and then there's an angel of the Lord is standing in the middle of the road, and Balaam finally sees the angel of the Lord. Uh, And then Balaam says, good thing the donkey, and then the donkey talks, uh, which is everyone's favorite uh, child story, the donkey donkey, before uh, uh, Shrek. That's where they got the idea. Uh, So that's a role that you see recurrent through the Old Testament. The, uh, when you transition to the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's 400 years of silence. The Jews will talk about this in the New Testament writings, that God does not send a prophet for 400 years. There's lots of writings from that period of time that we have, but there's not uh, a writings that the, the Jews put in the canon or that we put in our canon in about 400 year period. And then you have judges and king. Uh, in this era, they're about the same thing. Uh, we use judge and think court, right? That's not tep- that. That's a really bad translation of the word. Uh, they're generally a military leader. That's how they start, and then they end up judging the people or doing what we think of as a judge. Uh, It's also the same thing as a king. Uh, And there's a quote from 1 Samuel. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations, with the king to lead us, to go out before us, and to fight our battles. So in this time era, what was the function of the king? He's the warrior. His job is to protect the people. And so... uh, that's kind of where, where we're headed in the story. Which gives understanding to when the people confused with the role of the shield. Right. Because he's God's anointed God's and he fought battles before, and Jesus had won the party. So it's a. Uh, yeah, you see the people wanting something what's random. So let's go, you have to, context is everything. So we're, we're a little bit before 1000 B.C. So what's going on in history? Uh, you know, let's talk about some of these things you, you learned in history class once upon a time. Uh, Babylon, uh, is Babylon, what's Babylon doing at say 1100 B.C.? Not a lot at this point. They're, they're still, they're a city there. They're starting to kind of gather together. They're not really a world power. They're not even a regional power. Uh, that this, they're going to show up in the story in about 400 years. So they're still 400 years away from being a world power. So it's, it's a city. It's on the Tigers of the craze. Uh They're kind of like a, a big city. A big city for those days is probably 10,000 people. Don't think New York. Think village. There's a big village. Uh, Persia uh, is. What's Persia doing? Persia is modern-day Iran. Uh, and who saw the movie 300, uh, right? And 300: Rise of the Empire. Uh, so you have Persian Sparta, right? Uh, you see the king come and the per the Spartans are in the way preventing that. That's 500 years from now. What's happening in Persia right now, time of this, they're sheep herders. They're they're barely organized. They're basically small villages. So the Persians don't show up. Sparta, you know. Uh, the guys who run around that are really buff that have the long, dark hair, and they look great. Sparta is a tiny little village in Greece, at this point. Uh, they barely got their act together in their surrounding area. Their, the peak of their power is going to show up again, about 500 years against Persia. All right, pop quiz. In the movie 300, you see the Persian king come. Who was it? What? Probably Xerxes, Xerxes' son. All right, who's he married to? You all know this You all know the answer. Esther is correct. So in the movie 300, Ataxerxes is the king. They call him Xerxes, he's actually accurate. It Should be Xerxes. That is Esther's husband. Try to give you a time frame if you can put it in the scope of the Old Testament. So that's so that whole story is going to occur 400 years after this. Or almost 500 years after this. You're going to see the story of Esther, uh, her uncle, uh, king of Persia, who was at Xerxes, who then goes and invades Greece. And that's where he runs over the Spartans and going way back. Uh Spartans, who else was with uh, him? The Thebians, Thespians, are with him. Uh, yeah, in the whole movie, by the way, you know, there wasn't 300 of them; there were 6,000 of them. The movie doesn't do a really good job of that. It says 300 guys stop at 60,000. There were 6,000 Greeks. It just at the towards the end, he sends all the rest of them away. You know, 300 of them plus a thousand other guys stay there and stop them. Uh, but he does have great. <coughs> uh, it actually is recorded in the Persian history that. Uh, the messenger for, Xerxes says, we will darken the sky with our air. We have so many bowmen, we will darken the skies with our bowmen. And Leonidas actually does say that. Then we will fight in the shade. So that's how you know you're, you know, that's a He-Man answer right there. Uh, and yeah, at that point, he knew he was dead. He knew that, but if he died, his families arrived. So that's Persia, that's Sparta, that's 500 years from now. Uh, Alexander the Great, he is not even the Inkling and the Inkling and the Inkling. Uh, Alexander the Great is after, Spursia, after Persia. Uh, Rome, Rome is a tiny little village on the river. They are not organized, they are not doing anything. So what's going on in the world? What's really going on in the world here is, map of the holy of the tribes at this time, if you go up in here, Assyria is starting to get its act together. And that's what some people I've read say why the people are starting to ask for a king. The Assyrians, the Syrians are going to show up in about 200 years in this story. Uh, they show up in, in the second king, second, sorry, our book of Second Samuel, they start showing up. Uh, the Assyrians are getting their act together. They're just north of here. They're starting to become the first empire. That's a multi-city empire that can project force. And so the Israelites are here. They're starting to see people leaving that area. And so they're starting to feel a little bit of pressure because for 400 years they've conquered uh, the Holy Land, only they've not conquered it. What God told them to do is not what they did. They kind of got into it and then kind of settled for all right. God told them, I want you to push everyone out. I want this to be completely my people. From the Mediterranean up where you see the Armenian, that is supposed to be Israelite. All the way here, all the way down where Philistia is, supposed to be Israelite. They don't push the people out. They... They kind of get into they kind of are in charge and then they, they quit.
1: Everyone goes back to their home
0: and they become a loose confederation of 12 land tribes plus the Levites. We see this constantly through the book of Judges. Somebody gets into trouble and they have to send around to everyone saying, hey, quit, quit doing what you're doing, put your armor on, come and fight for us. And so what happens is the people say, we need to be more organized. And uh, from last week, Samuel was not super happy about that. He was kind of saying, "No, God is your God is your God. And then the interesting thing is, God tells him, "No, no, no, no. I've listened to him. We're going to appoint him." And so, what what you'll see over the next about 20 years is 40 years is this turning from. The patriarchs of each tribe ran each tribe and decided whether they were going to answer the call or not. In the other tribes, it's going to turn into a nation which is run by a king. That first king we're going to meet today. But I don't think of anything else. Oh, and the other part is that the reason I think that God told them to push everyone out when they moved in was that they were not in a but we know every. What's the every time Samuel talks, every time every judge talks, the first thing he says is, "Put away all the other idols that you've got. You only worship God." Uh, in fact, uh, the story of how Benjamin was almost wiped out. You know, they wipe it. They kill a lot of them, and they're down to a few uh, men. And they said, "Well, how is Benjamin going to survive?" They said, "Well, uh, when the." Young women go to the Ashtaroth pole, but the people of Benjamin are supposed to kidnap them. That's how you got your life. The Ashtaroth pole is a fertility pole from the people around there. It's not, a, it's not an Old Testament, you know, God wants a fertility pole, everyone dance around the fertility pole. That's how you said in that culture, I'm available to marry. I'm going to go out and dance around the Ashtoreth Pole, and then, you know, the guys at the local town come in to look, and then we can my parents and your parents talk, and then we can get married. And so what they told the Benjaminites is we know in Israel all the tribes are dancing around the Ashtoreth Pole. When you see that, go kidnap your wife. That's wrong in so many different ways. It's not even... Don't talk about kidnapping. Talk about fertility rights. Talk about... I mean, everything's wrong about that. That was how they decided... That they're going to keep Benjamin from going extinct, uh, and so that's kind of where we're at right here. Uh, and then Samuel's circuit every year he went from a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah and then back to Ramah. Uh, just to show you where that's at, that's here. That's where. The Samuel, the judge, is doing. That's the only place he's not going all over. He's just looping this little tiny loop here. And like Randall says, Shiloh's here is where they put the, the the tabernacle. It's not there anymore, it's destroyed. Where's the ark in the story right now? Remember two weeks ago? Two weeks ago? It's in What's his name's Garage. Benedict. Yeah, Benedict. He builds a garage for the ark and stores the Ark. I'm interpreting that to Alabama. Right? He's got a garage out back in his house. Uh, he literally builds another structure at his house and puts the Ark of the Covenant in it all. So, there, like grandma said, there, there's no uh, sacrifices going on. Think of, we, we just had uh, what's it two days ago with Rosh Hashanah? Dunk. Dr. Fork, sorry. Uh, and so, there should have been annual sacrifices gone off. They're not. Because there is no tabernacle. The ark is in literally a garage. In a village. And so Samuel, like I said, he probably is not old enough to become a priest yet, because you have to be 30. He is a judge. He leads the people in a battle, uh, pushes back the Philistines, and he becomes the judge of Israel. And and then they talk to God. God says, "You're going to appoint a king." Again? Yep. Just a quick question. And uh, this might have been covered in a class. On this. Mm-hmm. Why was the tribe of Benjamin so small? I'm, I know they were known to be fighters. They, well, they were. A bit on their population, I that. But why were they so small. Well, part of it is they were small because in the Book of Judges. I'm to, they did evil, and then the rest of the 11 tribes got together and almost wiped them out. And so then they decided, well, there should be 12 tribes, so that's when they stopped the war against them. Uh, and, and the other party is, because they <coughs> warred against them, no one would marry their, their daughters <coughs> to the tribe. And so that's when they had to get around to Ashtoreth pole and kidnap their wives. So, in this time in history, Benjamin is the smallest tribe. All right, and then, and so that's also, we kind of lose that culture, because there was a Benjamite. You're basically saying, I'm gonna appoint a king, but I'm gonna pick the smallest tribe, the most insignificant tribe. There were famous warriors, but there weren't very many of them. And uh, if you think about it, you know, Manasseh and Ephraim were the tribes from the sons of Joseph, who in a way to think about it are the leading tribes, because Joseph would have, he got the double inheritance, so he was the direct inheritor of Jacob, the oldest son, not the oldest son, he would have been, I don't know what they call that, uh, typically was the oldest son, but sometimes you could give, you could go to your other sons. So he has the largest inheritance from Jacob, And so who was Benjamin? Remember Benjamin? What was Benjamin? Who was Benjamin? Benjamin. Joseph had another drink up. Come on, sing the song. (laughs) (coughs) He was the youngest son. He was the one, Jacob's after Joseph died, he was, he's Joseph's full brother. And that was Jacob's favorite son. Thinking Joseph was dead. And so Benjamin's, you know. So, when you look at the, trot, the sons who were favored by, Joseph, by Jacob, Benjamin was the favorite, but it's actually now the smallest. Uh, and so he comes and says, uh, There's a Benjamin, a man of standing, meaning his dad was very well known. Uh, and he gives names Kish, son of, mm-hmm. son of, son of, son of, son of, son of. And Kish had a son named Saul. Look at the description. He was a handsome young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. He was a head taller than everyone else. Think of what the king's role is. What? I heard someone say it. What's the king? What's the king supposed to be? He's the lead warrior, right? So, taller is better. Bigger is better. He is the guy. Uh, in a lot of tribal societies of this time, the way he became king was to do the best fighter. So, when they're picking, when the people of Israel are picking, they're picking... Externally, here they're picking a guy who's handsome. He looks like a king. He is good looking. He is tall. He's a fighter. Well, he looks like a fighter. He may not be. But we'll talk about that in a minute. And then we have this uh, story of how he gets how he gets to meet Samuel. And uh, if you look at your Bibles. It's about donkeys. Uh, not talking donkeys this time. Not talking donkeys. Uh, and so he and the uh, servant, are, the donkeys get lost. And uh, they, they set them grazing so it's not like you know they misplaced them. They just wandered off. And so Saul and the servant go looking for them. And, it's, and it says he goes up into Ephraim. He goes up and around. He's going like about 60 miles radius. So this is not like an overnight trip. He's gone a while. And they can't find the office. Uh, Which is a fair amount of money in those days. And so they kind of look, they say, what what are we going to do? And uh, in this story, you would like your king to be wise and intelligent. In this story, who is the intelligent one? The servant replied, and Saul goes, Hey, I can't find him, let's go home. That, you know, that that's a lot of money on the hook. And the servant goes, Hey, look at this town, there's a man of God. He is highly respected, and everything he says comes true. He's a prophet. It's Samuel. Uh, let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what which way to take. And Saul said, If we go, what can we give them? The food in our sacks is gone. We have no gift to take the man of God. What do we have? Remember back when they sent the ark back? You you have to send gifts when you go to the man of God. Same thing when you go to the prophet and you ask him things. You've got to bring a gift and say, you know, for your time, here's a small gift. Saul, who's supposed to be the wise man, who's going to be the king, the leader of Israel, doesn't bring anything. He's out of stuff. His servant answered and said, look. I've got a quarter of a shekel in silver. Because I've got some money. Saul, the rich guy, the owner, doesn't have money. This slave, servant, by the way, the slave, uh, has money. Because I've got, I've got some silver. I will give to the man of God so he will tell us which way to take uh, So when you first meet Saul, this is not a, Saul is not the star of the show. You don't look at him and go, man, he needs to be king. He's good looking, he's tall, he's not prepared, he wants to give up early trying to find the, the, uh, the donkeys. He doesn't bring stuff with him, he doesn't have any food, he doesn't have any money. The slave does though. And then so they come up to where Samuel was staying. Uh, and so the day before Saul came, the Lord revealed this to Samuel. This is the part, I mean, God just talks to Samuel, which is the interesting thing. Just periodically he just talks to him and says, hey, this is about to happen. And Samuel acts like this, this is no big deal, that God's talking to him. He says, about this time tomorrow, I will bring a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people, and he will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. Again, king, war leader. That's what they want him to do. Uh, I have looked on my people, and their cry has reached me. Uh, and then when Samuel saw so, when Samuel saw, saw, yeah, like, off, saw the sight of Saul, the Lord said, this is the man who I spoke to. You, he will get my people. So when Saul comes up asking about the donkeys, God says to Samuel, this is the guy. Uh, and then he says, I'm the seer. Go ahead of me to the high place, and you're to eat with me in the morning. I will send you on your way and tell you all this in your heart. Uh, the donkeys you lost three days ago, don't worry about them, they have been found. And to whom all the desire of Israel's turn, is it not to you and your whole family line? That little phrase right there, the desire of Israel, is Samuel t- saw you're about to, I'm going to anoint you king. Because this is what everyone in Israel wants wants right now. Want, we, want king, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. So
1: he just tells him,
0: you're going to be king. And then Saul answers, am I not a Benjamite? The smallest tribe is not my clan, the least of the clans of the tribe. Why do you say so? Saul does not have a lot of self-confidence. I mean, the the prophet of God is telling you you're about to be king, and Saul Saul goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, you picked the wrong guy. I'm from Benjamin, I'm from a small tribe in Benjamin, I don't need to be king. And then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it over Saul's head. Now, Rebecca, be has not the Lord appointed you ruler over his inheritance? That's Samuel telling Saul, "You're king. You're the ruler. His inheritance is the people of Israel. You're you're the ruler." And then uh, he. To further prove to Saul that what he is doing is from the Lord, he tells him things are about to happen to him. He says, Hey, uh, the donkeys you've been, Mormon, he starts with the donkeys. The donkeys that you've been found, you were searching for, a found. He says, Now, as you are going your way home, you go where the great tree of Tabor. Three men are going up to worship God at Bethel, will meet you, and they are, they will have. Uh, goats, three loaves of bread, and a skin of wine, and they'll give you two loaves of bread. So this is very specific. So I'm sorry, it's not like they give giving one loaf. They don't give them. They're going to give you two loaves of bread. So this is a sign. Say this is a sign. Remember back in Judges, every time the judges were called to ask for a sign to make sure it's really good. I, I don't understand that. It's like when God talks to you, you go, "Well, wait a minute, I need a sign," and then. The Indians have not need two signs, right? You need the one sign, but anyone could have done that. Let's flip it around and do it the other way. That happens all the time. And so Saul, Samuel gives Saul signs. Here we go. Uh, and then as you go to uh, Gibeah of God, there's a Philistine outpost. You will meet a procession of prophets uh, with instruments playing. And they will be prophesying, And the Spirit of the Lord will come on you and you will prophesy with them. And you will change a different person. So these are signs that he is giving him that this anointment is from God. That you really will be the king of Israel. And then go down ahead of me to Gilgal and we will sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days till I come uh, because that is what you are to do. So basically he's on him. Samuel's on his rotation, and so he says, I'll be in Gilgal in seven days. We will uh, sacrifice at that time. And so Samuel, being Samuel, uh, so Saul basically has three times that he is affirmed as the king. Samuel anoints him. Now we're going to pick him. This is kind of pre picked we're, we're, here, we're seeing the story at the end. The people of Israel did not know that Samuel had anointed Saul because you know, they don't have Facebook. That wasn't his Instagram. Hey, it. Blessed, blessed? I'm sure he's said anointed on his Instagram for that day. Uh, so, Samuel said, we're going to gather everyone around and we're gonna, I'm going to show you that Saul is the guy. And so all the people came to Mizpah. And this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says I brought you up out of Israel. I, I delivered you. Remember the theme in, in 1 Samuel 34 Kings, Samuel Kings, is the hand of the Lord delivers the people. I brought you up out of Israel. I delivered you from the power of Egypt and the kingdoms that oppressed you. Now you have rejected your God who saves you out of your disasters and calamities. And you said, No, appoint a king over us. So now present yourself before the Lord by your tribes and clans. And so all the 13 tribes come up.
1: They take a lot.
0: This is this is you see this in the New Testament as well, when they're picking the, the new twelfth apostle. they take a lot. All right. Rolling dice, flipping coins. I don't know, I don't know exactly what they did. But it's to say God can direct our choice. So they took lots. And the tribe of Benjamin was taken by lots. Then they brought forth the entire tribe, clan by clan. And Matri's clan was taken. And then inside the clan you went family by family. And finally Saul, son of Kish, was taken. And they looked for him, they couldn't be found. This is an inauspicious start to being king. Where are you? Not. I mean, if you're king, uh, I got to see George W. Bush when he was a Lipscomb and some of you were there for that, when he was here, when was that, pre-pandemic. He said a very interesting thing I never thought of before. He says, to run for president, which is saying, I want to be king, you have to have a lot of self-confidence. He said, because you have to look at, say, there are 330, Ameri- 330 million Americans, I'm the best qualified guy to run this country. He says, nobody who runs for president lacks self-confidence. Same thing for king. You really want a king that is confident. Because he's got to lead you in the battle. He's got to make choices for you. You want someone who at least wants the job. Saul does not act like he wants the job at all. And so they look for him They could not be found. So they ask the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord answers, he calls, saying, Yeah. He's hidden himself among the supplies. Remember, because you have to bring all the food with you when you come. That's where Saul's at. He's hiding from the people. They ran and brought him out. And as just stood among the people, what's the one thing that shows up? He's a head taller than any of the others. He, again, looks like a king. Doesn't act like a king, but he looks like a king. Uh, and Samuel said to the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And then the people shouted, Long live the king. So just like you saw with Queen Elizabeth passing, right? Have you know Charles as king? Long live the king. Same thing here. The people now say, Long live the king, meaning we accept him as the king. So that, that's where we're getting the story. So now the, he has been anointed by Samuel. He has been picked by Lot. And then the people have acknowledged that he is the king. Is he the king yet? No. Because what's the king supposed to do? Why are they picking the king? Warrior. Warrior. So has he led them in battle yet? Is he a successful king? How do you know you're a successful king? You win. If you pick a king and he goes and gets killed in his first battle, what do you think? Ah, <laughs> eh, we picked wrong. And so the, that's the story coming. You know, you know what's coming in the story is that God has said he's king The people said, we think he's king. Now you've got to act like the king, which means you need to go solve a problem. You've got to fight somebody that is opposing the Israel- Israelites. So we, even just reading the story here, you know the very next story is going to be Saul's got to fight somebody. And then remember what Samuel told the people earlier. When you get a king, he's going to do these things to you. Right? Because a king can't do the king by himself. He's got to have an army. And in those days, it means you've got to have chariots. And you've got to have... Because this confederation of people, everyone was a farmer. Or, or a sheep herder or goat herder. And so, when it came time for battle, you had to throw your stuff down, put your armor on, and run and gather. Successful kings in these days had a standing army. Which means taxes. So now... You've got to go together from a confederation, so the story you're going to see coming up is gathering an army, gathering taxes, you need to build a capital somewhere. The king's got to live somewhere. And the interesting part is, what don't they build? Because we know it doesn't occur until Saul shows up, a temple. So. It's, they're totally fixated on exteriors and appearances here. The Ark of the Covenant's in what's his name's garage, about 60 miles north of here. They're creating a king, and they're totally fixated on what does he look like? Does he appear to be a king? Does he look like a king? And God gives him a chance because we're going to see once we get next week in chapter 11. He's going to give him a charge. He's going to give the people of Israel a charge. And says, this could be good if you do these things. And so, that's also the story of First and 2 Samuel, First and 2 Kings. They, they say, here's the charge. You can be good if you do these things. People do it for a little bit, and then they fall away. So, the story you see is this up and down. We're godly, we're not godly. We're godly, we're not godly. We're godly, we're not godly. We're godly, we're not godly, we're not godly. Which is a lot like us, right? We're not always at the peak. And so that's the story of Samuel and now Saul is, Saul has a chance. He's not—he's not, he's obviously not a self-confident person. Uh, he's not a hard worker because his slave is a hard, servant's better hard worker than he, he's, he doesn't prepare well. So all the stories that you see rolling up if, you know, foreshadowing in, in the literature, this foreshadowing that Saul may not be the best choice. He has a chance, he, he can change his life, but remember this story is written, this is not a contemporaneous story, this is written, written several kings later, of how Saul what how Saul does what he does, which ends up leading to David. So that the peak of the story is David becoming king. So now we're, we're still in the run-up to why does David become king. And so we're going to talk about the story of Saul the next several weeks of why Saul does well. What He, he does do some things well. And then we're going to find out when he doesn't do that well. Which then will lead us into why God calls David. Alright, we'll see you. I won't see you next week. Yes. Lessons. It seems to me one of the morals of the story is not even God that's a thousand personalities. Well, I think God gives you free will. And so, he is He basically, you're going to see uh, in the next chapter, he's going to tell Saul, if you want to be a success, here's how you become a success. And Saul kind of does it, and then he, he does not Which is also the warning to the Hebrews why this book is written. It said, if you want to be a success, follow what God tells you. Don't do what you want. And we'll see that in there's like two or three stories here coming up about Saul the good, and then Saul the not nice so good. And then we're going we're to be introduced to man-made David. Alright, see you in- personally in three weeks. <laughs>